Hello, the internet, and welcome to the Screen and Needle podcast, where my compadres and I get to select one film, one album, and a top five list each week to be reviewed and discussed over a pint or two. I hope you'll join us for a drink and some daft chat about pop culture. My name is Will Holden, and I'm joined today by Andy Melbourne. How you doing, bud? I'm all right. Thanks, mate. And Mark Wall. How's it going? I'm good, mate. You? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Thanks for asking, buddy. Today is your picks. Uh, yes. and we will, as always, start with the film, which is 1969's Army of Shadows. It's directed by Jean-Pierre Melville. It stars Lino Ventura, Paul Maurice and Simone Signoret. It is a World War II drama about Philippe Gerbier, a member of the French Resistance, and it follows his struggles against the Nazis, battling against betrayal, imprisonment, espionage, all the good stuff. How did you come across this film, Mark? There's a few Jean-Pierre Melville films that I've seen over the years. I think I've got a box set, in fact, now. But I'd watched a couple a few years back, and he mainly did heist films, and this one obviously isn't a heist film. And I'd watched it once, and it kind of stuck in mind as being pretty good. That was how I remembered it. But yeah, we'll, we'll get to what I think on a, on a second viewing many years later. Let's start with you, Will. What did you reckon? I think I quite enjoyed this. There were lots of elements in it that I really liked straight up. Um, I really liked this kind of tone of it. I like how slow it is. Like everything about it, the willingness to just linger on almost entirely static shots or just somebody walking away. I think in the moments when it needs to build tension, that slow pace then really works. Yeah. Um, there's kind of there's an execution scene fairly early on, probably about a third of the way through the film. And it takes ages from the point of them picking this guy up, deliberating how to do it, to then finally sort of killing this guy. Just it takes ages and you feel the indecision and the tension and, and the kind of horror of the situation, I think, really effectively. I do think it's too long. <laughs> I think uh, two hours and 25 minutes. I don't think it completely fulfills its like pretty lengthy runtime. It kind of, after a certain point, feels like it's all second act. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it all feels like everything is the middle of a story and it never, it just sort of ends. Um, I think that's something I'd not considered, but I think you've absolutely nailed it there. 
I don't think it has a fully satisfying arc from start to finish. I think it has mm-hmm. really nice arcs within it in smaller bits, but as a as a full film, it begins to meander a little bit, I think, toward the end. I think that that's very intentionally done. I don't think it's an accident that it doesn't have much of an ending. Or I'm a bit split on it because I enjoyed it as well. Like, I think it's brilliantly made. It's such a good counterpoint to the, like, heroic, sort of bombastic, every other World War II film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's such a kind of grey, not romanticised world. Um, Definitely. Like, some of the criticisms that I've got of it, I think they aren't things that necessarily I'd want to change about the film. I think it really kind of works for what it is. And I think that, that idea of it not having a big almost not having an ending it also doesn't really have any you don't really have any backstory or motivations for the characters they just kind of are but i think it's just supposed to be a little snapshot of kind of slice um, of life of the french resistance yeah that that bit of history it doesn't need an end because that isn't there isn't an end like unless they ended it with the end of the war but you're just seeing these characters and you kind of you know the the end of their story is going to be their death. They're going to get killed or they're going to get captured. So that's kind of the world that they're in. Yeah. But, so I, I think I, it, in not having a big ending is kind of important for the for the whole kind of premise of the film. Sure. No, I, well, can, I can see that. I, I do think it kind of left me overall a little bit, uh, wanting a bit more in that regard. And I think you can do that without it being, as you say, without pushing into bombast and sort of just classic Hollywood and the heroes all walk away at the end. For instance, there's a bit where the main character, Philippe Gerbier, is kind of imprisoned and they eventually break him out. Like, I think you could have made a lot of that. I think that his kind of suffering in the prison and his eventual breakout, for me, could have been the kind of set piece of the film and after the fact of course as you say they're in the middle of a war they're probably not going to do great but i think if you'd had that moment of victory within the film and end on that kind of note i think i'd have i don't know i know it's kind of artificial but that's that's why i like films what was your thoughts mark yeah so t- disappointingly i think we've all landed fairly similarly really um i was slightly underwhelmed this time around i still think i agree that the the craft of it is pretty damn fine it's definitely well made and there definitely is a certain grippingness to how slow it is i think you know that will when you said the tension scenes really work as a result but equally there's very few high points really it just kind of exists as it is at a kind of even keel throughout and I guess that escape slash execution scene of Lino Ventura is probably designed to be sort of the the peak, I suppose. I, I don't really know. Yeah. I, I had a couple of issues which I didn't remember having the first time around. Namely, the whole French, French resistance thing. I mean, I get that a lot of this will just rely on historical context and whatnot. But to me, they don't really adequately show what the hell these guys are actually doing. I mean, one one of the only things you see them actually do is essentially execute one of their own who was an informer. Yeah. So I don't actually know 
what good they are doing. They don't really show that unless unless I miss something, which is quite possible. But they I think they, really... I think they kind of they show it in bits, but it's never the focus of the story. When they put their base in that that wealthy guy's mansion, yes, and you, and you see the planes flying in and out, and they're obviously getting weapons and, and yeah, and that kind think, of thing. Yeah, that is obviously is something that helps the resistance, but it's it's a two second film uh, scene. Like it isn't the focus that's, of that's the it, film. Yeah. It, it's hard because I think such an effort went into trying to make the film more realistic and not kind of mm-hmm. romanticize anything. It almost felt like it went too far the other way, and it, it sort of never really showed any wins for them. Or no, the sort of camaraderie of being part of their team seems a bit kind of questionable as well. I mean, they're kind of together because they're together; they they've got a common goal. But besides that, you know, there's very few scenes that sort of link the characters together. They don't. Um, there's barely any characters. You'd, well, you're, yeah, not, you're not given any you're not given any sort of explanation as to like what their reasons are as individuals to join up i mean they show them literally recruiting a guy at one point and yep. it's just somebody you used to know in a pub that, that he yeah, sees but... in a pub and basically <laughs> goes up to him and says like do you want to make a real difference and he does that's it like they never they never get into the into the heart Which... of the details or or things like that which that guy is uh, Vincent Cassell's dad, by the way, which is pretty cool. Nice. Um, that was an example, though. That character, his, uh, I think it's Jean-Pierre Cassell, maybe, something like that. But initially, when he comes into it, you kind of, like, if you think of um, Tom Hardy in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, I kind of thought he might be a bit of a character like that, like quite charismatic and, like, has a cool little side mission. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, he's, he's just kind of, in it for a bit and I, he obviously quits doesn't he and kind of makes up for it in a way I didn't really understand that whole plot where he essentially left the team went to prison tried to help the other guy I don't know I just I just wanted a bit more from a couple of the characters really they're, they're just kind of there and they drift through it and yeah before we move away there's a point you made that I, I really agree with like I it doesn't have peaks and troughs, I don't think. It kind of gets up to second gear and then just stays there. It doesn't kind of... It does have quiet moments, but even the, the sort of loud moments in, in inverted commas are not are not particularly loud. I can understand it from a filmmaking point of view. Like mm. I say, I don't, I don't think that he's, it's that he's missed expanding characters or that he's missed having big moments. I think that's entirely intentional choices that he's made, that he's just going to tell a very realistic, very simple story with no, like you say, peaks or troughs in it. Or I think it's, a, it's supposed to be gritty and more realistic. I think it felt like a, it felt like a Cold War story. Like the John yeah. le Carre comparison is in, entirely accurate because it feels like an early John McCarray yeah. novel like Smiley's People or, or it feels more like that than a World War II film yeah the big comparison I, I immediately thought was the spy who came in from the cold yeah completely that very like as you say very gritty down to earth almost anti-bond in that sort of um, sense of, of not fantasizing I, I love John McCarray uh, but it. I think he does make an effort to draw characters though and I think they're often like very well 
drawn characters. I think it's one of the best things about Le Carre. It's like his writing's often, it follows a lot of tropes and I'm not going to say there's huge unexpected moments in the plot. It's kind of the characters and the world that draws you in. And that's the thing. I think this is brilliantly made, but without any sort of character, really. Like, I appreciated it, but I can't say I loved it. I think you're right there. I think things could be strongly plot-led or strongly character-led, and it's neither. It's almost filmmaking-led. Like, it's led by its by, by the way it's made rather than why it's made. I think that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess their whole situation is is why there's no nice moments, I guess. He's just literally showing that there weren't any nice moments yeah. in the way they lived their lives, you know. There's there's a couple of points where it sort of slightly shows something towards the end, obviously, where the the leader, I can't remember his name. The boss. Yeah. Luke Shiny. <laughs> we can just call him the boss. Yeah. <laughs> boss. Yeah. The boss turns up and he basically says, look, you're going to, you know, this badass woman who's been kicking ass in a way during the whole film, you're going to have to go and uh, take her out. And yeah. one of the uh, cronies who really hasn't been in it much at all, really puts up a defence and is, is properly impassioned about the fact that, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. She's, she's amazing. She's saved us all numerous times. What what on earth are you on about? They still end up going to do it, of course. But it was nice to see a bit of... I mean, that the whole... It's it's weird. There's there's a lack of humanity in a film, which is... The whole the whole thing is they are trying to look after their people or whatever. Yeah, I think it, I think it has three moments where it sort of actually shows a bit of sentimentality. I think the first one is the guy that they execute at the start. I thought that was kind of brilliantly shown as well. They pick him up and in the car he says, like, there's no need for you to give an explanation. It's not necessary. And yeah, this is done. And when somebody says, like, this is my first time, it's kind of freaking out. And it's like, it's all of our first times. <laughs> it's just It's just one of those things. Like, he's betrayed them. He's a risk to their organization. It's not personal. It's just, it's just entirely necessary. And then, like you say, when um, Mathilde is executed at the end, there's, it's obviously linking back to that bit earlier where she showed her a picture of her daughter yeah. and was immediately told, like, you can't keep that picture on you. And, yep. and at the end of the film, it's obviously for that exact reason, because as soon as she's captured with the picture, they have leverage over her. Mm-hmm. She's immediately done. But I also think when, so when John's captured and they ask for his real name and he says, that is my real name. And um, he says, like, is this the way you want to die? It is kind of, it's a reminder that like, he's not going, he's not going down as a hero. Like his name literally won't be remembered because he hasn't even given his real name. He's not even going to be martyred afterwards. Like he's just a That's it, there's no glory in his death. Yeah. (laughs) You mentioned earlier, Mark, about uh, that character, Jean, immediately forgot him. Jean-Francois. <laughs> yeah, Jean-Francois. Like, confusion over his actions. Yeah. And I, I think therein lies something I can't quite decide is a positive or a negative. I found it slightly confusing on a couple of occasions because I think the film expects you to fill in quite a lot of gaps. Mm-hmm. And I think on occasion, it's really well done. So 
as you're saying, when they kill the traitor at the beginning, when that scene starts, it's off the back of him escaping another prison in like rural France. And without remotely setting the scene, really, they pick this guy up. And it's only once he's in the car do you realize that it's, you know, it's our main character. And only through their dialogue do you kind of figure out like, oh, this is the guy who landed him in prison in the first place. Like, this is the traitor. These are his people. And they're taking him here to kill him. And and you kind of learn it through the dialogue without any heavy exposition. And in that regard, I thought it was really good. Like, I don't mind having a moment in a film. You're like, I just don't know what's happening. As long as the film then says, this is what's happening. (laughs) But as it went throughout the film, I thought it happened so frequently that there are points I did just kind of lose why this thing was happening at this particular time. I think with uh, with Jean-Francois, my interpretation was that he handed himself in in a kind of naive attempt to go and save the other prisoner. Save they were the talk- other guy, yeah. They were talking about the fact that it, they couldn't get a message to him that mm-hmm. he, he needed saving. And my read on that was that that was his attempt to help the group. Like, I can do this by handing myself in anonymously and then I'm on the inside and I can I can help. And obviously it all goes to to pie. Mm-hmm. I thought one of the most effective scenes was where Gerbia is obviously being taken for execution. And firstly, the scene where they all sit and pass around a cigarette. Great little scene. And then when they're on the walk, it's one of the few times the score like really kicks in, which is pretty effective. It shows he him thinking of certain memories during that scene as he's essentially walking to his death. Yeah. And those confuse me a bit. There's like it a couple of times it focuses on like, I think it's when he goes to London with Luke Shardy and he goes into a like takes cover in a little bar or something. And there's just like some girl who he just looks at smiling. And yeah. that was one of his memories when he's being taken to his death which I sort of found interesting because why, you know, is it just because he found her attractive or like, I mean, it just seems weird out of all the things in his life. He's just thinking back to this moment where. What clicked into my mind without any real evidence or reasoning to back it up is that they were the people who turned him in because there seems to be no rhyme or reason as to why he's arrested. Mm. They just happen to show up at the cafe that he's at. And I, I, at least my read was that they saw him, we saw in an earlier scene that they know his face, like the police are after him and his face is on wanted lists and that they were, you know, good, good occupied French people and, and, and handed them in instead of sort of supporting the resistance. But again, I kind of came at that with no, (laughs) no reason why I thought that. Yeah. Like, I wonder if it's just romanticizing like a life that he could have had if he didn't choose this life. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's probably bang on, to be honest. The final line, I think, of the movie, which is obviously in the start of the end credits, is very effective as well, where it just says, um, you know, he chose not to run this time. It's leaving it slightly open-ended, but I assume it's just like, yeah, he just didn't give them the satisfaction and just got blowed down and taken out. Yeah, it hardly has a happy ending, does it? I mean, like... Not at all. I mean, they, they all die, don't they, effectively? One of them through his own life-taking. It doesn't suggest whether or not that's through capture or perhaps from the look on his face at the end is just like the whole experience has completely broken him 
Um, well, and, uh, I mean, I sort of presumed that they carry cyanide around with them for that reason. I don't get captured and give away information. Swallowed the cyanide capsule. That's so that's why he's of, got it. So I, I kind of wondered. Presume that that's the reason that it was suicide, but yeah, but I just wonder whether it was suicide from choice of just I uh, can't live with these decisions and, and the actions we've taken, uh, or suicide because he was kind of captured. It never really, it never really says. I thought Gerbier, without being more than two dimensional, was a was a pretty cool character. I think he's always full of like cold sarcasm particularly at the yeah. beginning has this kind of sen- sense of worldliness. He's always the smartest guy in the room, no matter who he's sort of talking to. And I think that ebbs and flows as some of the other people come in. He's got presence, hasn't he? Throughout yeah, the entire that, thing. that's it, presence. And it's, it's like his small moments of resistance. There's a bit where some um, soldiers come to take him from the prison that he's in right at the beginning. And they tell him, like, you need to come with us. And he just really takes his time yeah, packing, yeah. It, packing his suitcase. And it's just a, like... A very little two fingers up to say, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to really make you wait for this. And uh, I found that that those elements satisfying to watch. It's really showing a like understanding of the situation as well. Like they've obviously captured him. They've been unable to prove that he's part of the resistance, but are well aware that he is part of the resistance. So like everybody knows what's going on. Like he's not going to, uh, he's not going to show fear or, like show that is just an acknowledgement. Even when he casually, when they when they capture him in the cafe, and he just casually like eats the note in his pocket. Yeah, yeah. So what a what a bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> I think despite him being shown to be willing to take life and and you know to get his hands dirty, he's never shown as a fighter. He's never shown as somebody kind of trained or. Pointed well, towards I, I don't know. Going... He stabs up, stabs up that guard pretty good. Oh, he does. He really stabs him right in yeah, the neck. Yeah, but I, doesn't he? I think all of those moments are just doing what's necessary for the resistance. And I think the kind of the lack of panic, any sort of like huge emotion of any kind in those big moments, is like kind of intrinsic to the idea of he knows how this. Like all the characters know how this is going to finish. They're just kind of they're doing their bit for as long as they can manage to do it for. Yeah. And then eventually they'll get captured and somebody else will step in and continue doing it. Like it's it's a it's an acceptance of how it's going to end before it started. It's bits like it's things like that which are why I think it's incredibly well made. Like I think it's a sort of like quite a brave choice to make in a film that you're going to make everything a, a kind of acceptance of this reality and it, it steps away from yeah, any sort sure. of heroic moments. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's admirable, admirable in its bleakness for mm. sure. One thing I will say as a general thing with this film is all his films that I've seen, I think I've seen maybe four, they're all of a very similar style, but all of the other ones are super cool. Like it's all, men in trench coats, like nightclubs, jazz, smoking. And there's kind of entrails of that in this movie. But for the most part, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, he, he strips it down to its bare bones. There's no attempts as we keep saying it, juicing it up at all. It's just, oh, no. it's incredibly bleak. Like the whole color yeah. palette of the film is gray. Yeah. But not in that kind <laughs> of, not in that annoying kind of Zack Snyder way. 
No, I just think it's the world not. is grey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, it's like it's it's realistic without being like masochistic. It's not it's not kind of punishing its characters or its audience for <laughs> for trying to watch it. Did just want to touch on because you've mentioned it a little bit is the score or kind of the lack thereof. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's quite an unusual choice, I think, to have the score really like dip in and out throughout the film. And I think the first time I noticed there was any score was after they executed the traitor. Yeah. And it come, it, it may well have been in beforehand, but I just don't remember ever noticing it. And once I noticed it the first time, then I noticed how silent most of the film is. Sometimes you'll just have a ticking clock or there might be some yeah. a bit of music that's happening in the scene. But actual score maybe happens three four big occasions where you get like big moments of score and then nothing again. 100%. I think there's a a theme which sort of comes in a couple of times, but again, it's not like a big sweeping theme. It's kind of quite quite mournful, I suppose, and sad, which is in keeping with the rest of it. Mm. And then the only other bit which I noticed is is again, it sort of gets a bit horrific, I suppose, which is his uh, when he's being marched to the execution or whatever yeah Yeah, really swells in then i enjoyed everybody's performance at least for what they had to do in any given moment i think it's always hard with a a film in a language you don't speak to really see the full performance because it's just in terms of like how things are delivered the way the subtitles came up sometimes they'd come before the line is delivered and Mm -hmm. might kind of ruin that that pace a little bit so it's unfair to criticize it on that kind of basis i think um but i liked everybody in it as you say they weren't deep characters there was nothing to really kind of grasp onto yeah they all they all command the, the screen pretty well i think the uh the lady simone signore um, yeah matilda yeah matilda uh, she's she's exactly the same i think she's you know she doesn't have a lot to do but she does it very well i think agreed um, yeah even her like death scene at the end, it's it's Luke Chardet, isn't it? Who tells this story about like this is what she would have wanted, yeah. which is you know, and then afterwards when Gerbia asks if the story is true, so it's like I've no idea. And I think like when you see her <laughs> and she recognizes them in the car, and you kind of presume that she understands like why they're there. She, you know, well, she would have planned it herself, wouldn't she, if it was someone else? Yeah, yeah I think she'd have made the same call. I think actually that's quite effective as a scene. I think that I don't get a read from her reaction whether that was what she wanted or mm-hmm. not. Like, there's kind of just accept well, it again. Yeah, she's going to die, so she's not going to be happy about it. But no. <laughs> <laughs> but again, as you said earlier, it's just further acceptance of like the inevitable death that's at the end of all yeah. of this. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think like that that one minute scene was actually kind of effective. It's what I was going to say when you were saying about the film ending earlier. I don't think that that's a bad ending for the film. The way that the film like played out, I agree that it came half an hour too late. It, it kind of bookends it as well because quite early on you've got them executed a traitor and at that point she is kind of a traitor yeah um yeah. and so it doesn't matter who it is like it's still 
she's betrayed them and she's a threat to the organization and therefore they have to do what they have to do yeah i can agree with that are we ready for our ratings i think so yeah okay no you got more to say i've not got anything to say i just don't know what my rating's going to be i see <laughs> i kind of agree with you i think this is a tricky one because there's lots of positives um and then some things that i think i'm disappointed with but are not necessarily like negatives as you say they may be purposefully done for the film and i just didn't quite like them i'm going to give it a seven out of ten it's it's a good film yeah i think um my initial viewing from my memory of it andy mentioned before about and it's a it's a highly revered film a lot of people think it's a masterpiece it is yeah i kind of think i was in that camp to be honest from from my memory you know remember being pretty blown away by it and this time it's it's definitely not a bad film there's absolutely no question it's not a bad film but i do think you sort of have to be in the mood for for that kind of movie um perhaps i wasn't but i do think there are some flaws to it there's also a lot of good points as well i'm going to go seven as well and i was kind of hovering on a six to be honest but yeah it's we we've discussed a lot of the good stuff and i i think that it is good isn't it What's your what's the scope, Andy? I don't think we've ever had a have we ever had a film where we've all given it the same mark? Not to date, I don't think. No, we haven't. Um well I'm gonna go seven as well. <laughs> Lovely so we, stuff. So we have now. Because I think it's yeah. incredibly well made. And I think almost from a historical point of view, I think it's important that somebody made that film. Yeah. Like I think it's quite brave to make it. Like it's a it's a film that is like I say, almost the antithesis to every other kind of World War II film. Um, I think in context as well, it was 1969, so only 24 years after the end of the war. And I think a lot of the people who will have fought in the resistance would have still been kicking around to watch that film. Yeah. So, yeah as you, as you say, kind of important. Um, Very good point. And so like a huge amount of positives about it. But if I'm being honest about my enjoyment of it, then I think seven out of 10 is spot on because i enjoyed it but i didn't think it was a masterpiece all right so should we move on to your album pick uh it is the album lush from 2012 by mitski again i'm going to direct it right back at you mark what brought uh, mitski into your purview this was the andy trick of i think i was listening to another band and it did the old thing where it just skips to some random track and about two minutes into it, I was like, oh, that sounds pretty good. Found out that it was Mitski, listened to a couple of her songs, did a minor bit of research and was like, right, let's just give one of hers a go. Real men keep cool in the face of a fire. Go down with the shit. start with Andy though what, what what did you make of it man I've got a few mixed thoughts on it to be honest I listened to the first few tracks and it has a ton of parallels with quite a lot of stuff that I used to listen to and still dip into there's a ton of similarities between 
like Regina Spector, like piano led with kind of interesting, interesting harmonies and dissonance and, and stuff like that. Um, and I also got a bit of a, like early Imogen Heap kind of vibe where it's almost got that bit of like teen angst about it. For me, the album kind of tailed off. Like I think it gets, I think it gets a bit one note um, in the second half of the album. I did two minutes of research. I don't know much about it, but apparently she made this album basically as a college project. It's incredibly impressive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and there's loads of interest in it. But yeah, the second half of the album, I think, tails off a bit and, and songs get a bit similar. So I'm a bit bit mixed on it. What did you think, Will? I'm a very, very similar ballpark. I think the almost split it directly in half. I think the first half of the album has some of those kind of moments of interest particularly the first two songs i think are like this kind of pop macabre where it's pop music but it's it's got a slight off kilterness about it a slight otherness about it well like you say with a bit of the dissonance in there uh and i really like that that sound in the first couple of songs the third song is um sort of like a pixies b-side maybe a c-side Interestingly, she has supported the Pixies before. Ah, good to whip that one out then. The fourth song, Real Men, I think is probably my favourite song on the album. I think it's got a cool beat and and then has a kind of change in rhythm. It's got a few nice kind of turns in melody in the vocal line. But then I think you're right, from five till the end of the album, I just thought became a bit generic Track five, Wife, I thought sounded a bit like a kind of Disney musical piece. Uh, but yeah, I kind of agree with you. It just, it just sort of uh, weakens towards the end. Uh, I think it's worth noting that it's a short album. I think it is 26 all 26 minutes or something like 20, that? 26 minutes in length. So it never overstays its welcome. And I didn't struggle listening to this album to come back to it and have another listen. But I found myself losing concentration after half the album and my mind would wander on, onto other stuff at that point. Thoughts, Mark? Well, you're both right and you're both wrong at the same time. <laughs> because the, uh, the second half does tail. There's no question. This always seems to come up about the second half of an album falling off. In this case, it, it really definitely does. I don't think there's particularly bad songs on the second half. I think the closer is outstanding. Pearl Diver is... Is a, is a great song, I think. The three before that are a bit samey. I wouldn't say they were generic. I still think they're fairly unique to her. She's got a lot of kind of influence and similarities to other people. You've mentioned a couple, Andy. Clearly, Bjork, I'd say Joni Mitchell at times as well. She's got a real ear for melody. I think I her think... melodies are phenomenal. I think even when I disagree with you, Will, on track five, actually, it's one of the. Um, Why is fantastic? Yeah, yeah it's I one of the only song. one of the only out and out strip back ballads that really works for me on the album. Fair yeah, enough. No, I, I, I found I found that track to be the, just like the beginning of the end for me of this album, and I, uh, yeah, yeah I just I just I found it to be very just too straightforward for me after the interest in the rest of the album it just it felt like a, a sharp cliff edge in in my book you need a bit of uh interest in it like 
all the time like a death I mean, album i <laughs> you got it you got i will it. say firstly i like some disney music so if it sounded like that that that's no bad thing it didn't to me it sounds like or me there's a, there's almost an old folk tale feel to that song to me it's totally just such a, it's just such just a an, perfect melody it's just a, it's just an interesting melody with everything else stripped back like the piano is is incredibly like simplified uh, and the yeah. earlier kind of more ballady tracks like the first couple of tracks like liquid smooth and stuff that that's the bits where i say it's got that like interesting dissonance and things like that but i think when she stripped all of that away i think the melody and the lyrics as well actually like the lyrics, I like are lyrics incredibly yeah. I think well written they're very mature like in general definitely very yeah. mature sounding i mean it's ridiculous i don't know how old she was when she made the record but my god absolutely ridiculous and uh, i as i say i agree the second half falls off it becomes a bit samey i think it could be a product of this the way it was made maybe she just didn't have enough time or the means to do more you know it, it's kind of that pixies b-side one as you called it track three is very mm-hmm. much out on its own as a kind of rock track and i think it's pretty badass i quite like it there's some cool chord changes in it as well yeah um, i think the first five tracks are a fantastic run i mean it was it was bordering on this could be a 10 out of 10 for me it hits all the notes that i want in music i think the first track is you know it could almost be a bond theme in a just world she would do a bond theme <laughs> it will never it will never happen the second song just the orchestration, really avant-garde. Again, quite simple, but the melody is just so interesting. There's so many blue notes, and that's it. Like it's it's she never overdoes anything. Like the the second track is, like you say, the orchestration's superb on it, but it's not overdone at all. Like there's very no. little to it, but it just creates that little moment of like dissonance and release, and then it's got this like very light little percussive thing yeah. through it as well I, I think like the, the album matures the right word i know you used it about about her lyrics but it's it's like it's the thing that i put across the album as well like nothing is is overdone like it's all very 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 subtle the bits of interest are yeah just incredibly like subtly done and yeah i just i think it's got such an atmosphere to it i found it incredibly evocative and yeah, I think it's 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 emotional at times as well. I think her singing is I'd love her voice. Absolutely love it. Yeah. I think um who was the uh, is it Courtney Swain who was the singer of Bentney? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that right? So they've got very different approaches, I think. Like Swain is way more has much more of a range, I think. She can really go high and she's fantastic. But I also think Mitski is She's just got such a powerful voice. It's not necessarily, you know, super impressive, the notes she's hitting or anything like that, but just the way she's singing the words and the way she builds to certain points in her song is is magnificent. I think the um, bits that are kind of delicate as well. Mm-hmm. It's an incredibly difficult thing, I think, to do, those kind of almost Mariah Carey-like runs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and obviously Mariah Carey does it where everything is oversung and... Um, I think doing those like subtle little little runs at the end of phrases and things like that to have a real like delicate tone to your voice and the, the control must... on her voice is superb. 
Yeah, I must say, like I, I liked her voice, and I thought she's a very good singer. But it didn't, it it didn't really like move me in that sort of way. It didn't. During uh, track seven, "Bag of Bones" was the mm. first track where I thought, like, I feel like this could almost be anyone. That was the first time that I think the individuality. Oh, man, like, come on, I disagree with it, that, but I think that track seven and eight are the. Track seven and eight are the reason that I don't love this album because it's quite a short album. And I think those two tracks are kind of, I disagree with you slightly on the generic thing. Like, I don't think Abbey is a great track, but the entire orchestration is vocals. Mm -hmm. Apart from a little bit of percussion, I think. That's not generic. That's an interesting choice to make. And I don't think the song is super interesting, but I like the arrangement of it. But it's Back of Bones and Doors. And wife as well, uh, all incredibly stripped back, like simple piano-led tracks. I, I don't. I think that can work because I think on wife it does work because I think the lyrics and the melody are enough to carry it. And I think on bag and bones and door, it's not. I kind of find those songs a bit forgettable. And I just kind of wanted to get through them. Mm-hmm. I also think the just just listening to, to how you guys are talking about it. I'm not sure the highs are quite as high for me either. Like I do, I like those four opening tracks, but not not to any kind of exemplary degree. I think they're I think they're good, they're good tracks, and uh, I enjoyed listening to them. But yeah, I don't know, didn't didn't bowl me over. I think I fall between you and Mark then, because I wouldn't say they were ten out of ten. But having listened to the first four or five tracks of the album, I was expecting to come in and say this is an eight out of ten album it's not far off that i do think it's exceptionally well written but um, yeah i don't want to sound overly negative like i think you said it earlier mark like there isn't really a bad song there isn't anything that you can point to and say like that's just a, a completely poorly put together and made song no but it also just doesn't it doesn't reach me in a way beyond just entertainment i think yeah, I, it struck me on a far more core level than that. I, it's very, very rare these days that I hear something and it just completely catches me off guard and completely captures my imagination and takes me to a different place. To and the that's point very where, cool. Yeah, well, to the point where, and this never happens, I just went through all her discography, basically, uh, as a result. And she is inconsistent across the board. It's frustrating She's one of those artists who I think has got an absolute masterpiece in her. I don't think she's done it yet. She goes far more into rock territory in her sort of second, third, fourth album. Not the second, sorry. The second's more like the first. Then it goes into rock territory. And then her last one is kind of an art pop thing, which is again all over the place. I think she needs to find someone who knows how to track list an album. By the sound of the order, right? Yeah, because I think that's a large part of the problem. She repeats the same issue in her second album as the first. There's just a run of slow, sparse tracks. Um, It's a a difficult one, though, isn't it? Because I think track... I wouldn't want to put any of those, like, six, seven, and eight. I wouldn't want to put those any higher up in the album. And I think track three and four are kind of in the right place as well. Like, four is the is for me the best track, and I think four is kind of the place where that should be, unless you're open with it. But if you're open with it, then you've got even more kind of piano-led ballads in a row together. 
like I say, it's um, not a criticism either of the album because I think some of them work for me and some of them don't. But I think there's too many of those for you to be able to order the album and have enough difference like throughout the album that, that it kind of falls evenly. You would need another couple of tracks like track three to kind of just have a bit of variety. Yeah, I wish there was one more which was more in that vein. And I think if that had been put in the second half of the album, maybe yeah. in place of one of the two ballads, Bag of Bones and Door, uh, I completely, I quite like Abby. I think it's interesting. But those two kind of let it down. But again, I think Pearl Diver, there's not been mentioned by Ivy and that song fucking kicks ass. Yeah, I've got to admit, that's another one that just slid off me. Like, it was this fine. It's all right. Se- seven and eight stood out as the two that I kind of almost didn't like. Pearl Diver, I kind of put in the same group as maybe two and six, um, Abby and the second track, Eric. But Eric. I think I think it's it's interesting enough that I I like it, but it wasn't one of the standouts for me. The thing I think she does incredibly well is if you took the backing music in general, the the chord progressions are, are pretty strange. They're pretty out yeah, there, yeah. and yet her melodies across the top make them into, to me, and sounds like you guys don't agree as much, into really kind of good songs. She's got all this interesting stuff, and somehow she's piecing it all together. I'm not quite sure how she does it. The Real Men one, uh, track four, completely agree with both of you. It's a perfect example of it. Like, just listen, like, all that juxtaposition of the rhythms as they gradually change and stuff into the chorus, and the chorus is weird. Yeah, it's not like a big sing-song chorus, so it's an odd melody, really, and yet memorable. Like it's yeah, ex- yeah exactly it's stuck in my head afterwards. The yeah. drums are superb throughout that track. Like they they never yeah, super they cool. never settle. Like super you know, cool because I wouldn't say the vocals necessarily fit particularly comfortably across the piano line. That's, I think, that's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes the drums are fitting with the vocals and sometimes with the piano and sometimes with neither, and they <laughs> change constantly. Like the kind of yep. feel of the rhythm changes. I think it means that she doesn't have to add a huge amount of, like you say, the melody is interesting and the kind of the chord changes are interesting, but she doesn't have to add a ton of interest in kind of counter melody lines or... Mm-hmm. things like that because the the feel of verses change every time they come around and the feel of the choruses are different i think that's all through the drums it's a great song yeah it's, it's the absolute crown isn't it of of, uh, of the album and i think providing that we all agree and seems we have various opinions on the album as a whole it is definitely the best song we three have spoken <laughs> well i don't think i've said that let it be enshrined in law. <laughs> also, I like I like track three a lot. Brand new city. I like the uh, the Pixies B side track. I do for the most part. It's not it's not one of my favourites, and I think it is a nice departure in tone, as you say, to the rest of the album being a very unique in that in that regard. It doesn't hit it hundred percent for me, but I do I do enjoy that track. The first three notes of the vocal melody in the first song are more interesting than most fucking albums I've heard in recent years. And straight away, just straight in with with the blue notes and just a super cool atmosphere. I mean, 
yeah, I don't know. I, there's track one to five. I can't really split, to be honest. I love them all. Um, and I love Pearl Diver. Six out of nine, it's not bad. Yeah, I don't massively disagree with that either. Like one to five, I really like. Abby, I don't mind. Pearl Driver, I don't mind. Bag of Bones and Door, I thought were a little bit weak. Yeah, I thought Abby, like you say, with the acapella, like I think it starts cool and then just doesn't quite do enough for me for the rest of the track. And the main chorus melody has, I wasn't quite sure how to explain it. It sounded like a sort of American uh, patriotic song. Now that slight feeling of sort of 1700s colonial america um um, that's pretty cool in a in a indie song i think yeah i wasn't a fan (laughs) i just anything which is against the norm i mean that's that's certainly not bloody generic that that element isn't generic no but i can't i can't always say that just because it's against the norm i i like it well no absolutely not but i like it because it's great it's incredibly emotive. Like, I think her, her vocals exactly. are... I, I have a huge amount of respect for anybody who writes from a kind of point of truth. Because mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine... I can't do that. <laughs> I can't write a song that has kind of lyrics that have a... Anything that you write kind of sounds corny. or So you end up writing lyrics that are generic and sound interesting. And it felt like she'd been through some shit. <laughs> You know, yeah. it felt like there was a real like truth to her lyrics, like a real sort of believability. I can admire I agree, that. I agree. Very much. She she sings it she sings it like the blues in a way to me. It's got that kind of vibe. And I always it's like the Peter Green thing. There's certain people when they just sing something and it just absolutely lands because of the way they're doing it. And it, it sounds mm-hmm. like it's coming from the heart. Yeah. Whether it is or not, it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> no, she pulled it off. She's selling it to me. And again, I just, I find it, a lot of her stuff has this transportative quality for me. And yeah, I, you know, I realize I'm putting up a, a major sort of defense for this. Or yeah, I, I was very taken with Mitski in general. Great. Okay. So let's see what these scores on the doors are going to be. Andy. I'm going to give it seven out of 10. It feels a little harsh, actually, because I like I'm quite excited to listen to more stuff by her. Like, there's so much about it that I really like. Like I say, I think she's got a real like ear for melody and a real uh, managing to find that like interest in instrumentation and orchestration without overdoing anything. But if I'm honest, like I don't really like two songs on this album. And a couple of the other songs on the album, I think, are fine. I don't know. The, the first half of the album is so good, though. Very excited that you brought this to the table, Mark. So, yeah, 7 out of 10. All righty. Well, this has hit me in a very different way, I think. Um, as I say, I don't want to come across as overly negative. Um, I think that's just the stance I've, I've, I've had to take in our little trio. I do think that the opening tracks are really good and as you say full of like really interesting instrumentation interesting melodies but i can't say that i'm genuinely inspired to go looking for much more if, if i'm honest i'm i'm really glad you did bring it because it's something pretty different again to what we've had so far but for me it's a, it's a six hour ten the deftones is a better record in my opinion yeah 
absolutely mad. Wow. Do you want to do you want to compare like what is it that <laughs> what is it that you find this is better? I want to blow by blow. I, I mean, think I've, I've done it, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> much. Well, I feel I feel last time I was criticised for simply saying I liked it because I found it interesting. So if you find this interesting, what do you find interesting about it? I think Mark has massively I, explained much said that for the last half I th- an hour. I think now. Mark has massively explained what he finds interesting on this record more than you did about Deftones. He's got, okay, into, well. he's got into the instrumentation, he's got into the dissonance, he's got into the melodies, the orchestration, the lyrics, which I don't yeah, think you went into point. in the slightest <laughs> on Deftones. Yeah, no, I think you got me into, uh, pushed me into a corner and got me into a muddle, but no, fair, <laughs> fair enough. I'll uh, I'll take my licking on that one. Okay, oh, fuck it, uh, nine. <laughs> Screw it. Good I will be stranded man. on my island with Mitski, and I'm sure it'll be a a lovely place to be. Yeah, I I actually I was I was going to say eight, but yeah, I need to I need to stay strong. And and as I say, six out of the nine songs I absolutely love. So fair play. Okay, so let's move on to our top five lists. Mark, do you want to tell us what your top five list is this week? Yeah, uh, top five foreign language films, which I thought in my head would there'd be a, a massive pool to draw from and it would be a really difficult list. And certainly when it came to mine, I was kind of shocked at how just uneducated I am about world cinema, basically, caveat up front this is going to be very much just five films for me that i kind of liked i don't even necessarily love all of them mm-hmm. right number five well let's get it out of the way then so my number five is the anime film akira uh from 1988 big cyberpunk body horror incredible animation uh really cool soundtrack just it's considered one of the kind of seminal anime works which i think has bled into culture more than a lot of others have despite it <laughs> having english dubs uh that is my number five foreign film i i love akira so i absolutely respect it being on there i've gone for a far more highbrow choice at number five which is uh is a stalker by Andrei Tarkovsky, who's a Russian filmmaker. Have I you? Are you familiar with this at all? Or I've not seen it. Ever. It did come up in my kind of research of, of foreign language films, but I actually haven't seen it. No. I recognise the name though. What else has he done? Uh, he did the originals, Solaris. Oh, okay, um, right, okay. He's. I think he's one of those guys where he did about seven movies and. Amongst like cinephile circles, he's regarded as being a master with an almost flawless filmography. Mm-hmm. I've seen one of his films, so <laughs> I, and as I, as I said before, it's not actually a film I flat out love. It's completely different to Army of Shadows, but similar in how slow it is. And I think there's a lot of world <laughs> cinema like this. It's just a different sensibility, I suppose. I think it's more made for the art than for the commerce a lot of the time. <laughs> but Stalker is visually pretty astounding stuff. It's just this, I think it's a group of three guys maybe, who basically travel to this place called The Zone in search of 
something and it's very obtuse and kind of doesn't really spell out what's going on to you but it's a it's quite a trip I think it's one where you know if you were in the in the right frame of mind possibly you'd you know had the uh the right substances beforehand you could get quite drawn into it but yeah it's it's phenomenal filmmaking you it's one of those you watch and you just cannot question the craft involved whatsoever how enjoyable it is is another matter but it's 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 stuck with me for many years so it's got that it's definitely it's definitely worth a go at some point yeah what are you saying andy <laughs> my number five is not a highbrow pick i picked it in like purely on enjoyment level and not on quality of film which is uh shaolin soccer lovely nice. stuff <laughs> um, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's an incredibly stupid film. I, I don't remember it hugely well. As far as I'm aware, a martial arts master kind of recruits people from a monastery to play football, and the football is kind of gravity defying, absolute nonsense, and it's just a, a kind of action comedy. Like, I remember laughing throughout it. Um, yeah, it's like a martial arts spoof, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, basically. and It's real good. I don't know. Like, the, every time they kick the ball, it's at, like, ridiculous, like, high velocity. They can fly, like, 50 foot up into the air. The ball catches fire because they kick it so hard and uh, digs two foot into the ground when it hits it. It is ridiculous, utterly ridiculous, but it is just so enjoyable. But yeah, I'd like I'd recommend it not on it being like a high quality film, just on its enjoyment factor. It's a good Super. call. Very good call. Okay, my number four is another French film, and it is 2001's Brotherhood of the Wolf, about two chevaliers who are sent out into the kind of French countryside to investigate the. Uh, killings of of peasants and such by a mysterious beast and it's a a kind of combination of i guess what i'd describe as victorian fantasy if it were set in in london it's that sort of time period as opposed to kind of swords and sorcery it's just it's a very cool film everybody and it's very cool and it's cool to watch and all the costumes are cool <laughs> i i love that movie as well Maybe and it has it with you. I, I, Vincent Cassell in it. It does, yeah. Linking it to the <laughs> the other one. Nice. So number four, I've gone for a Jean-Pierre Melville film, believe it or not. Sort of mentioned that I'd seen a couple of his others earlier. And the one I've gone for is Le Cirque Rouge, which I watched a week and a half ago or something, which is kind of why I wanted to put forward Army of Shadows. Mm-hmm. I think Le Cirque Rouge is a more enjoyable film. It's super cool, basically. I don't know if you're familiar with Elaine Delon, um, but he's no. a very, very cool guy, handsome <laughs> French dude. He's he's a complete badass. And, um, yeah, it's still actually kind of bleak. I mean, spoiler, uh, you know, basically everyone dies again. <laughs> like, but all, all the criminals are kind of very compelling. I think there is a little bit more character in it. People have arcs, and it's, I wouldn't say faster paced, but there is a little bit more more to it, I think. But yeah, 
What's your number four, Andy? Uh, so number four, I'm going to go with the German film Das Experiment, uh, which oh. is directed by Oliver Hirschbiegel. Um, That's a good call. I'd forgotten about that. It's. I think it's actually based on a book, and I presume that the book is entirely based on the like Stanford Prison Experiment. I don't know if you know of it, but I remember like covering it in psychology. I think it's a kind of interesting like premise anyway. Like a bunch of volunteers were were either prisoners or guards. And I think the actual experiment is supposed to last like two weeks. And after six days, they canned it because the guards started being like sadistic and, and, and the prisoners were, you know, mistreated and, I think the film's kind of predictable in the way that it plays out. Like the most kind of sadistic character early on becomes the kind of leader of the guards. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, th- I think it does an incredibly good job of still having kind of shocking moments and a kind of atmosphere of kind of tension and fear throughout it despite the fact that you kind of know where the story is going to end up. At the, the end of the story is kind of irrelevant. Like, it's it's just the kind of pieces that, you know, get to that end point. Very cool. Okay, my number three is 1968's Danger Diabolic, a um, Italian film about a master thief who is uh, fully masked. It's very very camp very 60s batman all the characters are really like off the wall it's super fun like in terms of its general overall quality i'm not sure it's going to be winning any awards for that but it's just it's incredibly fun and daft and really over the top yeah i'm delighted you've included it it's a fantastically fun film phenomenal score as well Morricone I'd forgotten it was a Morricone score that is uh, another plus point no I I really like Danger Diabolic yeah it's just a really like sexy slick but also really stupid like master thief story yeah big time well funnily enough my my number three yeah it's actually not not a million miles away from that I think it's based on French graphic novels. I don't know if you're familiar, Will. A character called Largo Winch. Not now. That one's passed me by. Okay. So I can't remember what year it came out. It's in the 2000s, but it's he's kind of a sort of Batman slash Bond sort of figure. He inherits uh, a lot of money, but he's also kind of a spy. It's not as daft as Danger Diabolic. It's uh, far more of a serious kind of spy action film, I suppose. And I think it's a, a really quite good one. It's got all the kind of, you know, cool locations of a Bond film. It's kind of got that Bourne-esque fight scenes going on in it. He's a complete sort of player in the Bond mould, which appeals, obviously. Yeah, I, there's two There's two movies, and unfortunately I haven't made any more. Uh, I really like both of them, but I think the first one, which is kind of hard to find, actually, uh, it seems to have about four different names, which I don't quite understand. But, yeah, I, I'll just call it Largo Winch because that's the main character. And, uh, yeah, you, you could do a lot worse, as if you can ever find it. It's It's a very good kind of modern 
modern action sort of comic book film. Interesting. Yeah, no, very cool choice, man. Uh, so for number three, I'm going to go with Amores Peros, the Alessandro Gonzalez Inaruto film, who made The Revenant and uh, my personal favourite film of his, Birdman. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty like difficult watch. Like when I say I was considering watching a few of the films on my list this week, I never really considered rewatching that. <laughs> I think it's a it's a it's a one watcher, uh, and that's not a kind of criticism of it. It's just it's, it's difficult. It opens up with a kind of a credit that says no animals were harmed during the making of this film, which you don't often. Yeah, you don't often see that at the start, but then it's got a pretty horrific, horrific like dogfighting scene, and it's based around a car accident, which is shown. I mean, it's shown three times because you get the story from kind of three different perspectives, and the car crash is pretty, pretty horrendous as well. And the backstories to the characters are, are pretty horrendous. But the kind Sounds of like a fun watch. Yeah, I think it kind of it has some of those like Tarantino vibes, but it's less it's less of that kind of comic book violence and there's more kind of depth and like truth to it. Yeah, in fairness, the, the Revenant isn't exactly a It's not a laugh riot. It's not a comedy, is it? <laughs> I, I love Birdman though. I think that's a just Yeah, no, Birdman is 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 pretty damn good. Yeah, I think that's his masterpiece. Uh yeah, it's 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 hugely like heavy on story and the atmosphere like throughout the film is is superb just like hugely rich on atmosphere i i don't know it, it's it's brutal and like hugely effective but yeah like i've watched it once and i'm glad that i did because i think it's like superb filmmaking but i don't need to put myself through that again well, you kind of half sold me. <laughs> I think you should. If you've not seen it, I think you should. I think you should watch it. I do think it is superbly well made. Like it's it's a watch through, watch through the fingers sort of film. Yeah. No fair play. My number two then is 2006's Black Book, uh, which I believe is a Dutch film directed by Paul Verhoeven about. Nazi occupied Netherlands during World War II and a Jewish singer who uh, infiltrates the ranks of the of the high up Germans to sort of dis- dismantle their occupation. It's a pretty typical, I think, World War II kind of espionage film, I think. But I always like that kind of fish out of water thing where somebody who's well, she's a singer, so her line of work has nothing to do with espionage or uh, action and adventure, but is thrown into the pot uh, and sort of made to deal with it. I remember showing this film to my dad, highly recommending it, saying we should we should watch this. And as we did, there's a very mild sex scene in the middle, and I could just feel his eyes on me. And it's basically him just saying, like, I know you've picked this because of the sex scene. <laughs> That's not the reason I picked this film. It definitely wouldn't uh, be. Why would you, if you like a film because of its sexiness, you're not going to pick to watch it with your dad. I'd also be a much more hardcore one. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, my number two, Black Book. Great film. <laughs> watch it for the sex scene. Oh, I love it. I have seen that as well, and I do remember it being very good. Okay, um, my number two is one I watched this week. I think I watched four this week. Only one made the list. 
which is The Wages of Fear, which is a 1953 film by Henri-Georges Clouseau, uh, which was remade as a film called Sorcerer by William Friedkin in the 70s, which is also very good. The plot, in a nutshell, is basically take one of the Top Gear specials where they have to journey from one place to another, but on their car, or in this case a lorry, shove a ton of nitroglycerine explosive, which, if it shakes too much, is going to blow up the truck. So, yeah, it, it spends the first hour kind of setting it all up, and it's just these guys in this town that cannot get out of this town. There's no work, they've got no money, they get offered this dangerous, risky opportunity to sort of cart these explosives across the land. And uh, the rest of it is just super tense, really cool action filmmaking, I guess. And yeah, it's uh, you never quite know who's going to make it, if anyone. And it does quite an interesting twist on that as well. And it's just really well made. It's really effective. And it also has pretty interesting characters like for the first hour it builds up this one guy as being this big shot like kind of gangster and as soon as he goes on this quest he just becomes this absolute pussy basically um (laughs) which is kind of understandable in the circumstances but yeah i you know is it boosted by the fact i've just watched it and i kind of wanted to include something i've just watched maybe but i did think it was uh, i did think it was really good and again sorcerer is um also very much worth a watch as well it sounds very cool i I really like that it's built around that pretty simple premise Mm. but it feels like a premise you can get tons out of yeah for sure and they 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 do it is funny because it does feel like the template for essentially every top gear special like oh we've got to cross this bridge or you know this terrain is impossible to to cross and all of that and it's all cool yeah absolutely um, so my number two, Itu Mama Tambien. It was on my list of things I wanted to get to, but I didn't. I really want to say it. Is it uh, Alfonso Cuaron? It is. Yeah, yeah. I must say, I've not, I've not even heard of it. Okay, it's a uh, Mexican like road movie kind of coming of age thing. I think it might be coloured by the fact that I watched it when I was a similar age of the two main characters. Uh, like it's quite a sexy film. <laughs> it's kind of them going on a on a kind of road trip where they they sleep with anything that moves and they do any drugs that are available. I mean, it moves on to them meeting this woman who's just split up from their uh, from her husband, and I mean, she's obviously the character that they are like obsessed with. Like she's an attractive older lady who can teach them about the world. But I think it gets surprisingly like sentimental and touching as well. I, I don't want to go into it massively if you've not watched it, because I think you should. But like it has it has a genuine, like quite touching ending to it. It's Gail Garcia Banan. And um, yeah, I think he's excellent. I think the other guy whose name I've forgotten is also really good in it. I think like their chemistry between them is excellent. Yeah, it sort of has no right to be quite as quite as sentimental and touching as it actually is. Uh, But I genuinely think it's great. And also I'm going to very, very, very quickly mention that I watched Roma this week, uh, which is most recent film. 
I easily could have included that in place. I decided to pick one film from him, but I thought it was uh, I thought it was excellent, like incredibly slow paced, like just visually stunning. Everything is shot in these kind of wide shots, and it's a really like close personal story. It's a kind of narrative of the film, and everything in the wide shots shows this kind of chaotic like world that's going on around her. Like really beautiful film, and I easily could have put that in place, but uh, Itu Mama Tambien, yeah, has stayed me with me a little bit because it still has all that kind of beautiful visuals and stuff. But the the story pulled me in maybe a tiny that bit, more, good. tiny bit more. But I think yeah, they're both you've... they're both great films. Like I'd very much recommend watching both. You've definitely sold both to me for sure. Yeah, I'll be checking them out. Right, uh, my big number one then is the year 2000's Battle Royale. And it's pretty much for the same reasons you've just described there, Andy. Like, this is probably the first foreign film I ever saw. I was too young to see it at the time. But it's about, in a, in a sort of um, alternate future, the Japanese government has decided that to deal with overpopulation and bad kids that a group of uh, naughty children are sent to an island to murder each other, and the one who is left gets to have a life. It's uh, got extraordinary levels of violence, quite a lot of tension. As you see, some of the kids there are feel like they're pre-armed for it, and some have even been through the Battle Royale before and survived. Um, but you tend to follow the story of the kids who were there for the first time and are just bricking it and are running around this huge jungle island desperate to try and stay alive and there's a bit of a love story in the middle um where two kids try and both get out alive is full of those very difficult decisions where people have to kill other people who they've, they've really warmed to and become their friends but really it's again it's just crazy bombast with loads of blood and head exploding and uh, when i was 12 or so it ticked every box it's superb. Like I, I really considered including it as well, and it was a toss-up between that and Shaolin Soccer. I wanted to include Shaolin Soccer for a bit of variety. Yeah, I mean, the Hunger Games, how it got away with essentially just Ripping stealing that plot completely. Um, and every video crazy. game that's made today. Well, yeah, yeah. indeed. It's influential, isn't it, for sure. Marco, I think it's time for your number one, buddy. Yeah, cool. Um, my number one is actually the movie I was going to pick, I think as my first pick originally, but then Andy had seen it, so I changed uh, the the option. But that is The uh, the Motorcycle Diaries uh, by Walter Salas. It's from 2004. I rewatched it over this weekend, actually, because it's been a while. It's probably about, I don't know, 10 years at least. But basically, are you, are you familiar with this at all, Will? Or I'm not. No, um, I, I mean, I know, I know of the film, but I, I just never got round to to watching it. It's one of those that passed me by when it was about. Funnily enough, I think it's probably similar to E2 Mama Tanvien in the respect that it's a road movie. The twist is, Will, I suppose that he's playing a, a young uh, Shay Guevara. Lovely stuff. But it really, like, the film could exist without that point because it's it's sort of just him and a mate going on a, a journey across six thousand miles or whatever you know through peru argentina 
various different places and they like visit leper colonies and just witness all this kind of what they see obviously as injustice basically mm. and I guess the the thing behind it is that all of this experience is shaping the person that he's to become yeah which, which adds an interesting element to it but you could you could take that out and it would still work really well as a kind of you know coming of age friendship movie and yeah. also just a travelogue because it's you know spectacular scenery and it's got music by the guy who actually did the two last of us films uh films uh games games <laughs> and the music's really good as well but it, it's yeah. just it's 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 a really powerful film I, again it was one that i wasn't sure where i'd have the same response and luckily i did i find it very moving but it's it's got plenty of like lighter moments as well. His mate's quite funny, and there's loads of scenes of them just trying to pick up girls and stuff. And but alongside all this, far more kind of important stuff, which is a lot a lot darker, and again sort of shapes who he is to become. So yeah, I I, I really like it. Mm. I remember um, when it came out, and it was really it looked really cool. I just yeah, just just passed me by. All right, so I think it's just time for your number one, Andy. Yeah, so my number one is one that I did rewatch this week, which is Volva by Pedro Almodovar. It, it absolutely sits, like sits into the kind of sentimental storyline I really love. Like, there's a murder in it, and there's uh, there's a ghost in it, and it's all kind of irrelevant to the plot. Like I think at its heart, it's just a like pretty simple story about a kind of Spanish family and kind of sisterly love and the love between like a mother and a daughter. It's got Penelope Cruz in it. And I watched it again because I worried a little bit that I loved it the first time because I was just a little bit in love with Penelope Cruz. <laughs> but I do think it has more to it as a film. For what I understand as well, like most of his films are thematically quite similar. That they're all kind of based around the kind of matriarch and the kind of family unit, and particularly the kind of female characters within that. But yeah, it's, it's just a beautiful little story. And again, it's like visually stunning. I think it's set just outside Madrid. Like there's a really like vivid use of kind of colour in it, particularly the colour red. Yeah, I often find that when when a, a particular colour or theme has been picked and then it is used expressively throughout a film, I think is always a, a, a very cool technique. I always find that to be very effective. But yeah, I think it's just a, a simple sentimental story that is just, it just hits the nail on the head. It is beautiful. It's just a beautiful little film. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a few that have been mentioned now, which... I'm gonna gonna go right up my list to check out. Um, I think it's interesting that we all said that we found it quite difficult to make the lists, and yet I don't think we've had any duplication. Zero uh, crossover. <laughs> no, no crossover. They're, they're all. Right there. Well, I won't say my list is good, but certainly both of both of yours too. I, yeah, I think that we've actually come up with pretty good good lists out of that. Good fifteen films. Did you have any additional? on a, a, any further long list that haven't been mentioned or are worth mentioning? I'll, I'll reel off some quickly. I'll mention there was, a again, a couple that I tried to watch ahead of this 
because I had them and I thought, well, now was the time, if ever. Mm-hmm. One of which was The Handmaiden, which was an erotic thriller. So <laughs> I didn't see why you picked it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was, it was pretty all right, actually, but not top five material. I watched a, a French film called Orphe. It was from 1950. Mm. Mm. Not bothered. <laughs> um, and finally, I tried to watch uh, one from a few years back who a mate at work always told me, oh, you've got to watch this film. It's an incredible, like, best film of, like, the last 10 years. Okay, fine. Picked it up for, like, three quid on Amazon, finally shoved it in, got half an hour into it and had to turn it off, which is sort of <laughs> the devil. Um, okay. I struggled massively with the uh, the graphic violence in it. Brotherhood of the Wolf as well. Uh, the Ring, the original uh, Japanese one. Kashan, mental film. And finally, I guess uh, the one that was sort of the gateway one for me, which was um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Andy, do you have anything else on your long list or did you have recovered? I've got quite a few. I'm surprised that mm-hmm. a few of them haven't been mentioned. Um, like Amelie, I'm amazed nobody's mentioned. Uh, it, it didn't make my long list, but the Children of Lost City did. Interesting. I think Amelie suffered from being oversold to me. I really enjoyed it and it could have made my list, but I was sort of sold it as a 10 out of 10 film and it's a cute little little story, but uh, yeah, I didn't make it. Uh, Run, Lola, Run. I don't know if any of you have seen that, which is a kind of German thriller. Then I've got City of God, which I wanted to include, but I simply didn't remember it well enough. I know it's supposed to be absolutely superb, but I remembered almost nothing about it, so I didn't think it was fair to put it in. And last few, I had uh, Science of Sleep, which is a Michelle Gondry film. Last couple, I had Downfall. Yeah, Downfall, yeah. The Last Days of Hitler, which is great. And I've seen one of the Three Colours films. Oh, cool. Uh, Which colour? Uh, Red, which is supposedly the best film. I think it's the third of them. Again, very good, but I didn't remember it very well. What you got, Will? The only other things I've got that haven't been mentioned, I mean, I've got Spirited Away. I think it's still probably my favourite of the Ghibli films, but Howl's Moving Castle, Princess Mononoke, there are plenty in there. Infernal Affairs, Mm -hmm. I guess sort of the inspiration for The Departed. City of Lost Children, I've, I've mentioned, and uh, Let the Right One In. Yeah. A, f- a film that was so swiftly remade with an American version, it'd be easy to forget it existed at all. Cool. Yeah. Good work, boys. So that is all from us at the Screen and Needle podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. To find out what we're going to be talking about next week, I'm going to throw to Andy. What are your choices, buddy? Uh, so the film we're going to be looking at is the Tim Burton film, Ed Wood. Uh, then we're going to be listening to Matt Berry's most recent album, Phantom Birds. And the list that we're going to be picking is top five songs by lyrics. Sweet. Thanks for joining us and come back next week where we will talk about another movie, another album and another top five list. Bye for now.